Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Hallelujah. If you'll turn to 1 Kings chapter 17, and I am going to begin this evening a series, uh, and this is per input that I received from survey. We're going to start this evening, 1 Kings chapter 17, and we will also be reading from James chapter number 5. You said we already did the book of James. That's all right. Just because we went through it doesn't mean we can never pull another scripture from there. <laughs> First Kings 17 and verse number one, the Bible says, and Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word James 5 New Testament scripture James 5 verse 17 which seems to be the last mention of Elijah it says Elias which is the Greek the Greek rendering of the Old Testament Elijah so Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months this evening I'd like to start in this journey of however long it may be uh, and entitled this this evening Elijah was a man that's it Elijah was a man amen can we pray together father we come to you this evening I'm grateful Lord for your people that have come to the house of God I know Lord many of them Lord has God battled battles already this week God, they have already burdened the load, Lord Jesus, of stresses and heartache. I pray, O oh Lord, that you're able to encourage them and strengthen them by your word tonight. I pray, O oh Master, today, let the anointing of your presence, God, just infiltrate into this heart, into this house, God, in our hearts, Lord, this evening. I pray, God, help us to learn of you and learn of your word. God, for in that day, Lord, there was a people that was destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. I pray, God, that we could share that, Lord Jesus, together tonight, that our lives would be made better by it. The lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Again, shake someone's hand before you're seated this evening. Find somebody perhaps you don't know. Introduce yourself. Elijah, Elijah was a man. That statement alone brings a lot of comfort to this old boy right here. Whenever we begin to look over the next few weeks concerning the, the life and the indelible mark that Elijah put on Old Testament and even New Testament scriptures, a man of miracles and prophecy used mightily of God and seemingly during the era of time in which he served, seemed like, at least he felt, the only voice that was speaking for the Lord and felt as though he stood alone by himself, subjected himself at times to loneliness and to depression. 
I draw great, great comfort in knowing that Elijah was a man. Amen. Because I can identify with somebody like that. I can get right beside them and, and eat some fried chicken. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and identify with someone like this. And Elijah is a very significant character in the word of the Lord. Not just in the Old Testament, but we even read of him in the New Testament over 20 different direct references to this man called Elijah, even in the New Testament. Uh, we see his appearance on the Mount of Transfiguration. Whenever the Lord goes up there and he takes that inner circle of disciples, there were a couple of individuals that appeared upon that mount there with the Lord. One of them was Moses, the great lawgiver, but the other one was Elijah that was there as well. And we understand a little bit of the greatness and the, the peculiarness of Elijah whenever we understand that he is one of only two men in Scripture who never died never died they never had no flowers laid upon their grave there was never no group of mourners that preceded them to the burial ground where they would lay to rest because he and Enoch never died Enoch was taken at the ripe old age of 365 years he was taken away he walked with God and was not we're not certain according to scripture how old Elijah was when he was taken but he was taken by that whirlwind and the chariots of fire that took him up into the heavenlies and whereas though other characters of the Bible if you'd start naming characters like Moses and David and Solomon and Noah and these different characters that we may also or may not which is fine may be familiar with they all had this ancestry that you could trace Many times you could study out who their mother and father was or who their grandfather or grandmother was and you can see their lineage throughout the scripture. But that is not the case with Elijah. You cannot go back several generations and trace his lineage or his ancestry. For that matter, in scripture, we're not given even the record of his mother or father. It's just like this man comes out of seemingly nowhere. Nothing is mentioned about his parents. Nothing is mentioned about his ancestry. Nothing is mentioned. He's acclaimed and, and spoken of as, and revered as a prophet. But we don't read necessarily anything of his early training before he came before Ahab or his early life. As a matter of fact, there's very little emphasis that's placed upon the background, amen, of Elijah. Little to nothing is known about his life up until the time that I read to you in 1 Kings 17 and verse 1 where he makes his debut in Scripture. And so with that, I believe, though, there is something important said to you and I because we do revere this man as a great man, as a great prophet, someone that was mightily used of God, a voice of God in his day and era of time. Yet there is a scarcity of information about who he truly was and where he came from. And I believe God is spelling out to us, modern day believers are trying to follow the Lord, do a work for God, trying to find the will of God and be a mouthpiece, if you will, for the Lord in our generation is this, is that God can use a man mightily even if we don't know a whole lot about where he came from or what his background was. That even maybe I could go to uh, the position and say, it didn't necessarily matter to us scripture-wise because we don't know what his background was. But what we do know is that he was a man that poised himself in such a way to be used of 
the Lord. Because sometimes we enter into the arena of Christendom and following God and we start labeling people in their backgrounds. The only way you can do anything is if you have this pedigree. You gotta be fourth generation apostolic blue blood Pentecostal, praise God, in order to be used of the Lord. Or you, you gotta have this, or you gotta have just the right family dynamics. And there's, there's gotta be this there and that there. Now, if that does not happen here with Elijah, you can't prove or disprove what his life was. His background didn't matter, but he was still used greatly by God. And in that, the, the, the main point is underscored. And that is the focus then is placed then more upon the ability of God than the credentials of the man. Amen. Because whenever they seen uh, the Jordan River roll back, the prophets, the school prophets looking from a far distance, when they seen that happen, they couldn't lay that to, well, he had good stock. <laughs> they couldn't lay that, well, he came from a good family and he's been written. No, 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 no. What they had to lay that claim to is that is an act of the Almighty God that's using the humility of a man. And Elijah was a man. And you and I fall in this category tonight. And so I want to encourage us this evening that in the same similitude or similarity of ways that Elijah was used of the Lord, you can be used of God. You can be used of the Lord. To get a feel though, what Elijah was up against. You know, you cannot truly separate a man from the context of his history and environment and his culture because in doing so, you've already subtracted something from that man. Amen. And so in order to get a feel for what Elijah's setting and environment was, we need to consider a little bit of the historical and cultural background that Elijah set in. For your homework tonight, you can go home and read 1 Kings uh, chapter 15 and 16 because that will give you a, a good little background concerning what Elijah just stepped into in 1 Kings chapter number 17. In order to understand a little bit of the history of the nation of Israel, we go back to, and I ain't going all the way back to Abraham, but I'll get close, but uh, we go back to Israel's first king, Saul, who served for approximately 40 years, and then in his room arose David who also served and reigned for approximately 40 years. And then in his room, his son Solomon served for, again, approximately somewhere around 40 years. But it was during this time of Solomon's reign, Solomon started out good. Uh, he, I guess he hit his midlife crisis. I don't know what, what else to describe it as. But he, he, he hit a bump in the road somewhere along the middle of his life and journey, so much so that the end of his years seemed to be further from God than his start was early in life. And as a result of that, he started bringing into his life uh, ladies and, and foreign alliances and foreign women and started marrying people outside of, of the allegiance of his God and he made some allegiances there and, and had some foreign alliances there and as a result of that he brought in uh, some things that should have been kept at bay. The reason why in the scripture that they were marrying within their tribe and within their people was for the purpose of the protection of their service and their allegiance to their God. That's what it is, bottom line. It was that they would remain faithful to their God. And so whenever he started marrying outside of that, he was starting to compromise the faithfulness that he had to his God. So somewhere along in his rule and reign, a civil war broke out. And there is no war like civil war. 
You can fight with other nations, but whenever you're fighting among yourselves, that's what happened in Solomon's day. And eventually, as a result of this, then his son that was going to be ruler over what now would become the southern kingdom, which would, would compose of Judah and ben, Benjamin, Rehoboam, his son would rule over them because now we have a divided kingdom. That's what happens whenever you have war among yourselves. Division happens. There was a division that took place then in the whole nation of Israel. Ten tribes went north. They were known then as Israel. And then two tribes went south, Judah and Benjamin. And so now we have Jeroboam, who is over the northern kingdom, which was known as Israel. And you have Rehoboam, who is over the southern kingdom, which is known as Judah. And during the process, just walk with me here. This will allow you to appreciate Elijah just a little bit more. The northern kingdom, during the process of about 200 years, had 19, 19 wicked rulers. They couldn't get a good one if they tried to. For almost 200 years of time, 19 wicked rulers. The southern kingdom, during almost 300 years, had 17 rulers. They almost ended up with half and half, nine wicked, eight that were good. But when we begin to understand the downward spiral that started with one man namely, the first ruler of the northern kingdom, by the name of Jeroboam. The Bible states concerning Jeroboam that Jeroboam did evil. He instituted some things that was evil. We'll get to that in a moment. The one who came after him was one by the name of Nadab. The Bible says he did evil. As a matter of fact, then he was assassinated by the next man that was coming along. Nadab only ruled for a couple years. Basha came in and the Bible says he did evil. He reigned for about 24 years. And then Elah came and he did, guess what? Evil. He was assassinated after about two years of service. Zimri then comes in. Zimri is the one that did the assassination. He did evil. Now this is amazing here, folks. The Bible says that Zimri did evil. You know how long Zimri reigned? Seven days. Now you a whole bunch of evil if you can do a lot of evil and be spoken of done evil in seven days. You, you better believe he was. He's born bad. Zimri, Zimri did evil. Amen. And here he is, just seven days he reigned. He was assassinated by the one that would take his place, Amri, and the Bible says he did evil. But it takes it just a little step further. It says more than all that was before him. He did more evil than all that was before him. In other words, you could take all the evil that Jeroboam, Nadab, Basha, Elah, Zimri done, take all of that, and Omri took it to the next level. I mean, isn't that something to be proud of? I mean, all these guys have done just a whole bunch of stuff, and he said, I can top not just the one that preceded me, but put you all together, and I'll top the evil you guys done. And he did it, and he ruled for about 12 years. And then came a man that would be serving during the time that Elijah would make his debut, a man by the name of Ahab. The Bible says that Ahab did evil, and it tacks onto him. He did more evil than all those that were before him. So he even, <laughs> I guess he didn't want to be outdone by Amra. I don't know what, but he, he took it to another level. And it even attached to Ahab, said that it would have been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the one who started this all out to begin with. Said it would have been, it would have been just kiddish play if, if Ahab would have just walked in his wickedness. 
But I want, I want to look back a little bit at Jeroboam, the first ruler of the northern kingdom. Because each time, you can read in the scripture of the kings, that each time, king after king, each king is noted for their wickedness and how vile they were and how perverse they were. And it, it is always usually ended with words very similar to this. It says, and he, whatever the king may have been, he departed not from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, wherewith he made Israel to sin at least, at least ten times. It's mentioned that all these kings did not depart from the evil and the wickedness that Jeroboam had started this whole thing with to begin with. And so, so this evening, just for a little bit, again, to get a background of what's going on, I want to see how bad Jeroboam really is here. What did he do to corrupt the nation of Israel, to turn them from the one true Lord? What, what, what time of corruptness took place? If you'll look in your Bibles with me in 1 Kings chapter 12 and verse number 28, I'm going to read several verses of Scripture here that kind of gives us a, uh, a curtain pulled back up on the life of Jeroboam and what he had done. The Bible says in verse 28 of 1 Kings 12, whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto them, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. I want you to remember that phrase. It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And he set the one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. And this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one even unto Dan. And look what else he done. And he made, verse 31, he made a house of high places and made priests of the lowest of the people which were not of the sons of Levi. Well, that's already not in accordance with the law. The priests were supposed to come from the tribe of Levi and no other place. But he said he took of the lowest of people and made priests. In verse 32, And Jeroboam ordained a feast in the eighth month on the 15th day of the month. Like, it wasn't, but it was like. Like unto the feast that is in Judah. And he offered upon the altar, so did he in Bethel, sacrificing unto the calves that he had made. And he placed in Bethel the priest of the high places which he had made. So he offered upon the altar which he had made in Bethel the 15th day of the 8th month, even in the month, this is important, which he had devised of his own heart. This wasn't, uh, this wasn't the voice of the Lord that said it shall be on this day or this is the day it's been on for generations of time up until now, but whatever he devised of his own heart. He says, we're going to do it on this day, and this is how we're going to do it. And he ordained the feast unto the children of Israel, and he offered upon the altar and burnt incense. See, understand, the children of Israel, it was ingrained in their lives that it was normal for wherever their station may be or where their lot was in the land, that there were three times a year that they would come before the Lord. There were three times a year that they would make a journey to, to Jerusalem Three festivals, they would go there on Passover and they would go there on Pentecost and they would go there on Tabernacles and they were all to appear before the Lord and they would come together and they would worship together and they would worship the creator of the universe and God always used this time to bring them back to a center core of unity and, and to be collective and, and, and they had a sense of oneness of view and purpose when they came together like that to Jerusalem. But Jeroboam said, I know what they normally do. They'll normally all go to Jerusalem and they'll worship the Lord there but I don't want this to happen with the ten tribes that I'm over 
I don't want this to happen with the ten tribes that I'm over because it could be that their associations in Judah and the associations with their other brethren will overpower the loyalty that, they, that I want them to have toward me. Because I want them to be loyal to me and I want them to see me as a ruler. And so as a result of this, he says, I'm going to tell them, hey, I'll make, I'll make an image in the southern part of the kingdom and in the northern part of the kingdom at Dan and Bethel. I'll make an image and you can go there. Now notice this. He wasn't telling them to go there and worship another God. But he was wanting them to go and worship the Lord by the wrong means. So we got, we got a calf up here and a calf down here. You can still worship your God. But I want you to worship your God right here. Children of Israel never worship the Lord by an idol. They never worshiped the great God Almighty by an idol, but he had them doing that. And the way that he convinced them was this, and the phrase I told you to remember, he told them, he says, it's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. So one of the things that brought a downward spiral to this nation was this. Jeroboam began to devalue the importance and the object of collective worship, and more importantly, he wanted to make sacrifice convenient for his people. He says, don't trouble yourself. It's too much for you to go to Jerusalem. Why make that long trip and take your little kiddos and have to have your cattle and make sure you have plenty of food in order to make a journey, amen, to go make sacrifice? Why would you do that? But isn't there almost a little uh, conflicting of, of, of verbiage here? Let me make sacrifice convenient for you. That kind of takes away the whole purpose, doesn't it? I mean, sacrifice and convenience doesn't really just fit like hand and glove. So one of the downward spirals of the nation was here was a man that was trying to make sacrifice convenient for the people. Yeah. Right. Isn't it amazing how history does repeat itself? Yeah. Yeah. Amen? Because whenever I read this and studied this today and over the past few days, I see our own nation. And I see our own world now. Because there are sects of society that have tried to make sacrifice convenient. <laughs> don't trouble yourself. Don't, don't, you don't have to do this. Amen. Collective worship was important, so he tried to keep them from coming together. He, he provided a little substitute, a little golden calf, has a couple of temples, and all this has taken place. And then secondly, remember that he took then the priesthood, not from the Levites, but he took it from the lowest of people. What he started to do was he defiled the ministry. He defiled the ministry. He corrupted it with people void of a calling and void of anointing, serving in that position. Let me tell you today, we have many uh, defilements in the ministry today. People that are serving in capacities where God has not called nor has he anointed. They have been made in some episodes of the lowest sorts of people. Give them a card, give them an ordination, and just call it sanction. Not so. It was a part of the downward spiral of the nation of Israel. And then thirdly, he says, we're going to have a feast on such and such day like the feast you all used to have and it's been devised according to my own heart. So we're going to have a time of celebration like you would have, but it's going to be on a different day at a different time and we're going to do things just a little bit differently. If I, got, if I could say like this tonight, he was starting to counterfeit feast. 
counterfeit times and purposes for rejoicing. Mm-hmm. Oh, there are counterfeit feasts among us today. Purposes and reasons for rejoicing that were not from that of old, but they've been made by the advisement of the, the heart of men, devised after his own heart. So rather, look now, what he was doing then, rather than accommodating uh, the Lord's desires, he said, why don't you just accommodate yourself? I, I, my own heart advised me in this matter. Amen. So rather than accommodating the Lord, I'll, I'll accommodate myself. Amen. If it isn't exactly the same or if it isn't exactly right, here's the good old words. It's close enough. <laughs> Boy, I wish I had the money that I've heard that a time or two in my life. That, well, you know, it's a little, it's just a little different. They, it's just, a, you know, they're not exactly like us, but uh, it's close enough. Uh-huh. You know, you know they, they, they're, they're pretty true, you know, to the word. They're just a few things, you know, just a little here and there, kind of off to the left or right, but it's close enough. That's a downward spiral. So the words that ring out in my head over and over that Scripture speaks of is Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. So all of that happened. So they all continued in the same thing all the way up to Ahab. And Ahab, he was the low-down scoundrel, dirty dog. I'm here to tell you, he was the rough and tough and bad man. He was a bad man. He was an evil man. The Bible says in 1 Kings 16, 33, and Ahab made a grove. And Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. Yeah. Amen. So the rulers prior to Ahab... And the beginning all the way back with Jeroboam, take all of them, uh, could believe whatever you wanted to do, but Ahab took it a step further because where Jeroboam says, you can come to this place and you can still worship your God by this means. I know the means is incorrect, but you can still worship your God. Ahab took it to another level because now he's saying, you can't worship your Lord by improper means, but you're gonna worship an entire different God. It wasn't that he was just setting up a station for them to still worship their Lord by an improper means, but now you're going to worship an entirely different God because Ahab instituted the worship of Baal. Amen. So now beyond worshiping God in a false way, now we have a people that are supporting no worship of God whatsoever but the worship of some false God, heathenistic God. And whenever we see Ahab, you see the other kings, they're mentioned alone. But now we say Ahab, and lo and behold, now there's a little clout for the lady, and she is mentioned. Jezebel, his wife, is mentioned with Ahab. Now, you don't see any of the other kings mentioned with their wives, but you do here in Ahab's instances. You see that Ahab is mentioned with his wife, Jezebel. And the reason being is because although Ahab was king in title, she was king in command. Amen. Because whenever we look at the bell worship that came about, bell worship came about because of that marriage to Jezebel, the daughter of a Zidonian who brought in bell worship. It came a result of an unequal yoke between a man and with a lady outside of his family or tribe. Remember, Jezebel married into the family and so her power stemmed from her presence in the king's bedroom. That's right. That's right. Amen. 
Because in reality, whenever the, that woman looks at you and, and she bats her eyes and she speaks about something maybe she would want or desire, really, it's hard to say no. I want you to just consider just for a moment. Now, I'm still with Elijah. I know you guys thought we went to biblical history here. But you're going to appreciate Elijah a whole lot more. Remember, if we're considering Jezebel, remember Revelations 2.20. New, Te New Testament scripture, speaking of the church of Thyatira, it says, notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel. This was the church, that, the tolerant church. Thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which called herself a prophetess to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication, to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Now, undoubtedly, this woman is not uh, thousands and thousands of years old that's uh, somehow intimidating the church of Thyatira. But just as John the Baptist would show up on the scene in the New Testament Scripture in the spirit of Elijah, so there was during the time of Thyatira a group of people or an individual that showed up in the spirit of Jezebel. Because there is such a thing. And the spirit of Jezebel is this. Jezebel literally means without cohabitation. She will not live or cohabitate with those she cannot dominate or control. She'll have no equals. Control is what Jezebel wants more than anything. And if she ever appears to be submissive, it's because she has a carefully wrought plan to gain some type of influence by that. Amen. So this is who Ahab's married to, the woman who is domineering, who likes to be in control, who will not cohabitate with another unless she can dominate and control. They're serving Baal at this time. Baal is a somatic word which basically means Lord, master, or owner. He was the chief God that the Canaanites worshiped when the Israelites came into the land of Canaan and they dispelled them all. He is the God of rain. He is the God of fertility. He is the God in control of the seasons, in control of the crops, in control of the land. Whenever you worship Baal, there would be times you would offer up incense and burn offerings. There were other times that they would offer up human sacrifices unto Baal. And there were other times that included with their sacrifice was some type of immoral uh, sexual activity that took place. So yes, I believe this bestiques of the day that we live in. Because I can see that there is an offering of human sacrifice. Millions attest to the fact of abortion of those who have been sacrificed. And there is the illicit immoral activity that is just increasing by the number day in and day out. It is there before. So about 60 years later from the time of Jeroboam, here we go. 60 years later from the time of Jeroboam, there's total corruption, there's evil, there's domineering, there's the worship of Baal. Now enters the prophet Elijah. I mean, man, did they set him a nice, I mean, little stage to come in on? Wouldn't that be great? I mean, just everything is just in total corruption. And here enters Elijah, and he has a short message, he has a direct message, and it's basically there shall not be due or rain these years, but according to my word. Enters Elijah, exits Elijah. Now, wouldn't you know, being in obscurity for all this time to come in and just give a, a sentence, and that was your debut of your ministry in life. We're going to allow you to preach, but only take about 10 seconds. 
Some people wouldn't be able to hold the burden in the ministry of Elijah. Uh, so he comes in, so he blows, he's like, a, he's like a present day evangelist. He blows in, he blows up, and he blows out. So here's Elijah, though. He says, there's not going to be do a ring according to my words. Not going to be do a ring. Elijah, do you know what you're just saying? You're speaking to Ahab in the presence of a palace that people are bending knee and revering Baal as God. The Baal that is the God of fertility. The Baal that is the God of the crops and of the land. The Baal that is the God of the rain. And you came in here telling us there will not be dew or rain according to your words and we are serving the God of the rain? What Elijah just did was pick the biggest fight of the century because it was more than just saying he was shutting up the heavens. It was, if you will, a confrontation with what they supposed to be their God. Baal's in control of the rain and Elijah just said, as the Lord of Israel liveth, I stand before him in your presence that there shall not be dew nor rain. In other words, he's saying, you say your God has controlled the rain, and I'm just telling you that my God said uh, he's got to answer to him. So we have a whole nation, 10 tribes that are infiltrated by Baal worship. They're doing it. That's where they're bending their knee. That's where they're laying prostrate before, prostrate before all these places. And here enters Elijah, who when he enters, his name alone kind of ruffles some feathers. Because the name Elijah, if you break his name down, the first two letters, L, L is the abbreviation for the Hebrew word Elohim. Elohim literally is God. Then you look at the last three letters, Jah. The last three letters, Jah, is the word for Jehovah. The middle letter I is, it has a Hebrew reference to it, to personal pronouns, which mean my or mine. So if you literally take the name Elijah, it would be this literally, God my Jehovah, or God is my Jehovah, or God is my Savior. So enters this man by the name of Elijah. God is my Jehovah. As soon as he enters the palace, of a bunch of people that serve a heathenistic God by the name of Baal. As soon as he enters, the moment that someone speaks his name, they utter this thing, God is that man's Jehovah. In a world, in a society where everybody was serving something false, some deistic God entered a man that said, hey, if I'm the only one standing, God is still my, you do what you want to do, but I'm still going to put my allegiance, my trust, all of my support, in God my Jehovah. And Elijah was just a man. He was just a man. Do you know what that tells me in my society? 
when I feel the breathing and the threatening of the sway of society as it would go and some would want to jump on the boat and just go along with the masses, I can stand as Elijah stood and let it be testified in my life just being a man that God is my Jehovah. He is my Savior. He is my Father. He is my Master. Bell meant ruler, Master, but I can't serve too, so I'm going to choose God to still alone be my Master, my Lord, my Savior. I imagine they hated. They said, just say hey you. Don't say hey Elijah. You know. Just say hey you or something, you know. Don't use his name. So whenever you say his name, it's saying that God is his, is his Jehovah. He is Elijah. Elijah the Tishbite. Elijah being the Tishbite would seem that Tishbite or Tishbe would be the place that Elijah would be from. But even the greatest of scholars cannot agree or even trace back where this Tishbe place is. So whenever we say that Elijah was from nowhere, you're not far from being correct. They can't trace even where that place is exactly from. They do know that Tishbite, when translated, literally means converter or stranger. It was Elijah the stranger or Elijah the converter. I like either one of those. The Bible says he was of the inhabitants of Gilead. Gilead was a place east of the Jordan River. Amen. It was a rocky, rugged place, place of solitude. It was an outdoor type mountain type of life. It was a rocky region. It referred, if you will, to that mountainous area. Anybody that would be from that area is definitely from a rural area. And they are probably similar to their surroundings as they were kind of a little rocky and rough. Elijah held that in his character as well, being a little rocky and rough. As a matter of fact, later, whenever you read in 2 Kings 1, verses 7 through 8, you'll read of uh, the appearance of Elijah a little bit. Whenever it gave the appearance of Elijah, he wore a garment of black camel's hair. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> Must have been an Armani goat hair or something, you know. Girded with a leathern belt about his waist that held his garment for a little bit freer movement. Great contrast, if you will, to the inhabitants of Samaria. Great contrast, especially to the Baal priest. Because uh, Erdin Shime, who is a man of biblical history, said the Baal priest wore white linen gowns, high-pointed bonnets, lived in the delicacies of the palace. And right next to them came forth <laughs> old burly cameled hair, <laughs> Elijah. Now you want to talk about living separated. <laughs> They had their pristine whiteness and their little dunce caps on, and he comes in with a leather belt, goat's hair. <laughs> Got still, well, we won't, I won't protest anybody here. We'll just leave it there. Here he comes. It's a rural area, you know. Some of those places say you got to pump sunshine to. Be like when we used to be in Hatch Bend, and you just joke back and forth, Brother Boyd, that they always got the paper a day late out there. It's a rural area. He said, there's not going to be any rain. Said that to a, a wicked king, to a Zidonian queen. They had bell worship and the God of the rain. He came before them and he inscribed himself quite well. He said, I am the servant, basically. Postured himself as being the servant 
of the Lord. When all of this stuff was just a heathenistic land, they were idolizing and worshiping false gods. Elijah asserted something among them because he said, as the Lord God of Israel liveth, as the Lord God of Israel liveth, he said, you are acting as though he's dead. Some of you are not even wanting to give any recognition to him. He said, but I'm here as the Lord God of Israel liveth. Whenever he said the Lord God of Israel, there's something important because those ten northern tribes were described oft times as Israel. And he said, as the Lord God of Israel. He says, I want you to know, Israel, that you say Baal is your God. But I'm here to tell you that what was instituted long ago has not changed. God is still the God of Israel. And he's not dead, but he liveth. Amen. He liveth. And so James tells us, and I'm trying to get there. And so James tells us in James 5, 17, if you can bring that back up for me, Brother Tyler. James 5, 17, the Bible says Elias or Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. He was subject to like passions as we are. Elijah was a man subject. He was of the same nature. That is, he was a fellow mortal. Uh, the, 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 babe, the Bible in basic English translation says it like this. Elijah was a man of flesh and blood like we are. He was a man like we are. That here he comes on a scene of a very dismal time. And we might ask ourselves in that same episode, if it were us, what in the world can somebody do whenever a nation's like this? I mean, it would be like throwing a grain of sand upon the beach. I mean, what can you really do? How's that really going to impact? How is that really going to affect? I mean, there might be others that thought, man, nothing could be done. And perhaps there was because Elijah's the only one taking the forefront. But look what Elijah, his response to all this was. He knew something that he could do. Subject like passions like we are. But the Bible says, and he prayed earnestly. He prayed earnestly. And whenever he prayed earnestly, look. And we'll understand this here real quickly, that whenever Elijah prayed, Elijah was praying the word. This idea that the heavens should be closed up wasn't Elijah's idea. This was God's idea. This is God's idea all the way back in Deuteronomy. It was a God idea. And so Elijah now is taking some time to pray the word. And there's nothing quite as powerful as praying the word because see this thing is settled heaven and earth may pass away but his word it won't the grass may wither and the flower may fade but his word this is settled and so whenever I pray his word I'm praying a steadfast Settled prayer. Amen. And whenever I understand that he, he was praying his word, this goes all the way back to Deuteronomy. If we could go there just real quickly. Deuteronomy chapter 11. And I, I'm hurrying. I know I got a baptismal here. Deuteronomy 11 and verse 16. The Bible says, Take heed to yourselves, the words of Moses, that your heart be not deceived, and ye turn aside and serve other gods. That's what the nation was doing. And worship then them. And then the Lord's wrath be kindled against you. And he, look God, shut up the heaven that there be no rain. That the land yield not her fruit, lest she perish 
quickly from off the good land which the Lord giveth you. So, this was not Elijah's idea of shutting up the heavens. He knew that God had said, if you turn and you serve other gods, he said, then God will not have any mercy. He will shut up the heaven and there will be no rain. So whenever Elijah went to prayer in this dismal time, wondering what in the world can a guy like me, a man, do? He says, I can pray the word. What can I do in this most dismal time of the history of Israel? I can pray the word and I'm just a man. <laughs> I'm just a man and I'm gonna pray the word. In other words, he was just saying, God, do what you said you'd do. I got scripture for that. If we can go to it, I'm hurrying, I'm hurrying. I gotta go, I got 50 some odd seconds. Second Samuel chapter seven and verse 25. David is in a position that God has promised him some things. God has given him his word concerning some things, how he's going to establish his kingdom and where it's going to go. And David is talking to God in 2 Samuel 7, 25. And he says, and now, O Lord God, the word thou hast spoken concerning thy servant, concerning his house, establish it forever and do as thou hast said. You know what David did right then? He prayed the word. Let me encourage someone tonight. Whatever you may be in, in your life, and you're wondering, what can a person like me do? I'm just a man. Any promise that God has, any word that God has given you, or any word that God has given you, whether it be by promise or prophecy, or the word, you need to start praying that word. If by prophetic utterance, he said that he was going to make your life and your finances to prosper. You say, you just tell God like David told God. God, do as thou hast said. Oh, yes. I think it's good for the first apostolic church to find some prayer closets around here and just start saying, God, I'm not asking anything out of bounds here. I'm asking you just to do what you already said you was going to do. Go on and bring my loved ones in. Go on and heal my issue. Go, whoa. Just do what you can do it tonight. All you got to be, the only qualifications is just to be a man or a woman. Amen. I think it's great. And I'm closing because my time's up early. But I'm going to finish. Then Elijah... He was in the presence of Ahab. He literally was in the presence of Ahab among stone idols of Baal. But although standing literally in the presence of Ahab, he assured his audience, he said, as the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand. I know by all practical appearances, I literally stand before you. He said, but I want you to know there's a greater audience that I'm standing before right now. We need to take and encompass the big picture sometimes because we literally stand in not some so promising places. But understand, when you stand there, you're standing in the audience of something much greater than where your feet are literally placed. So I'm here before, before whom I stand, before this God that liveth whom I stand. This is not a men's conference. But if I were to look at James 5.17 and just stop, Elijah was a man, be able to qualify how that is, I would say it's this. 
Elijah was a man because of 1 Kings 17.1. Elijah was a man because he stood before God. <laughs> Elijah was a man because he stood before God. Now I need to comfort the ministry, any Sunday school teacher, any youth pastor right now real quickly. Because Elijah gives his direct, forthright message. But the scripture right here doesn't give us any clue concerning a response from Ahab. And it brings comfort to me as a pastor that there will be times you'll deliver messages with I have your response whenever it's finished. If you'd stand with me this evening. Elijah was a man. But look at the implications of the way that he lived that life as a man. In so much that in New Testament scripture, he was so identified with his God that whenever Jesus Christ walked up on the earth and he even posed the question to his disciples, who do men say that I am? What's being said? Who am I? One of the things that were spouted from the words of society was, Thou art Elias. Thou art Elijah. He was such a man and so identified with his God that when that God manifested himself in flesh as Jesus Christ and walked upon the earth, they said, There's Elijah. Now let me tell you, that's the type of man, that's the type of woman that I think we should aspire to be. Amen. Hallelujah. Oftentimes, just like even we go back in the Old Testament story of Samuel and Eli, how uh, Samuel was asleep, and you can come to the Mason, Samuel was asleep, and uh, uh, <clears throat> he, he heard this voice, and he got up and went to Eli. And he said, well, go back to bed. You know, he did this a few times, and finally Eli told him, he said, hey, he said, when you hear that voice again, say, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. You know, that was really something recommendable for Eli. I know he was in a bad state right there, but... Uh, his voice was so similar to the Lord's voice that, that Samuel went to Eli rather than recognizing it was the voice of the Lord. Wouldn't it be great to get in the place that whenever we start speaking to people and talking to people, they can't discern if it's you or if it's they're hearing something from heaven. Elijah, a man, was just a man, just like you and I. We're going to open these altars tonight. We're going to sing this evening we're going to prepare for a baptism as well amen i suggest that we come forward have a time of prayer in the closure of this service amen as we prepare for this baptismal but let us realize man we're, we're just humanity amen and i draw great comfort that a man of great miracles and we'll get into all those as time goes on amen but first and foremost with the dismal background that he entered in on that his name testified along where his allegiances were. Amen. And his actions and speaking about before whom he stood. He didn't have a great background, didn't have a great pedigree, but he had a great God. And in the end, that's all that really mattered. In the end, that's all that really mattered. So tonight you can come. Amen. You don't have the pedigree. You don't have the ancestry. Perhaps this is your first. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.